filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues, including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. I would say maybe even like young Kurt Russell when he played Elvis in one of the movies about Elvis. I haven't watched that one. I just know it exists. Um, yeah, it's uh, I'm just pretty low energy uh, because of days of shoveling and maybe not being in a good enough shape to do days of shoveling and then be coherent at the end of it. And I swear to God, listeners, our fourth attempt at a cold open and this one was the best of the bunch i sincerely I think, apologize i think we should have stuck with what do you guys want to talk about brains and then just jumped in hey hey welcome in this is filibuster the snowed under black and red united podcast i'm adam taylor joined as always by the apparently defeated jason anderson and Ben Bromley down in Richmond. We are all from blackandredunited.com. That's where you can find us writing about DC United, whose preseason has finally started, uh, and the U.S. national teams, and a lot more. We've got a good show for you tonight. Like I said, preseason has started, so we are going to talk about what we have to talk about there, which is admittedly not much, but we are going to make a good long segment out of it anyway. Uh, we are also going to talk about the new stadium renderings that came out of DC United for the the new building down on Buzzard Point. Uh, there's a lot to talk about there. And we're going to open up the show to your questions, time permitting, at the end of the, the end of the hour. Before we do anything, though, Ben Bromley, what are you drinking? So everyone knows how I like to drink local beers. Uh, this should come as no surprise to anyone. And so... I picked up some Legend Winter White today when I was finally able to get out of my house for the first time in three or four days. And yeah, it's just a, it's a, just like it sounds, it's a light uh, white ale with a lot of uh, spices in it just to, I don't know what makes it winter really. It doesn't, the spices don't really taste wintry, but it only comes out in winter. So maybe that's why they name it that way. I'm sorry. That was awful. (laughs) (laughs) This is just going Listeners, you have every opportunity to turn this thing off. <laughs> we can't. We literally can't come to your house and make you keep listening. We just request that you at least wait through to the the ad in the middle of the hour. <laughs> yes, and then turn it off. Help out our sponsors, not us. Don't do it for us. Just our sponsors, just the people to whom we are financially beholden, and we love them. We love them dearly. I am drinking the opposite of a local beer. I am drinking Rodenbach from Belgium. It is a Flemish sour, and it's I. Uh, you know, sour red ale, and it's delicious. I like it a lot. Jason, what are awesome. you drinking? That sounds awesome. I wish I had that. Yeah, um, I'm pretty happy still, with it. I do still have good beer. Um, before the storm hit, I went out and bought a uh, Flying Dog sampler 12-pack. Uh, and also, I had found out that the makers of the Not Your Father's Root Beer also have a Not Your Father's Ginger Ale, uh, which I drank all of that days ago. Um, so what I've got left is uh, Flying Dogs um, Pearl Necklace uh, Oyster Stout. 
Uh, it is a stout brewed with Rappahannock oysters from the Chesapeake Bay. Uh, it's a really good stout. Um, you can't, at least I can't pick up on any oyster. I've never been able to pick up on oyster in this beer over the years, but um, it's still a very good stout. And since it is winter and the ground is covered in uh, what's now ugly, crusty uh, trash snow, um, it's a good it, it's a good beer for the situation that we're all stuck in, or most of us. I'm sure some of our listeners are in places that didn't get hit with uh, a winter storm. In which case, screw you. My street actually still has really pretty snow because it hasn't been plowed yet. Ah, uh, I live in the middle of DC, and my street has not been plowed you, yet. It you is live in kind of a secret night. street. I do, but it's on a map. It, it is on a map, but there's an alley. You have to go through an alley to get to your street. It's true. I'm pretty sure the alley's been plowed. I haven't been down there yeah, this evening strange. to check, but I, I think the alley has been plowed and our street has not. So that is the level of importance of the 40-something houses on my street. <laughs> Sorry. Random complaint about DC. Lord Herman. of the Flies. <laughs> Let's talk about soccer because we have... We kind of have soccer to talk about. DC United is in Bradenton, Florida. They managed to escape just before uh, DCA closed for the storm. Um, and they are down there for preseason. They're building to their opener on February 23rd. That's in the CONCACAF Champions League. And the MLS opener out in LA will be March 6th. With nothing else to go on, let's talk about trialists that are going to be down there because DC United released their preseason roster. We already know most of the players on the last year's team who are going to be down there for preseason. Most of them already have a roster spot locked up if they're back for preseason this year. Not all of them, maybe, but but you expect most of them to be on the roster this year. There's a lot of trialists this year for the first stage of training camp. Uh, one of them is the newly drafted uh, Paul Klaus, uh, yeah, Paul Klaus, who uh, DC United took in the super draft. And one is Liam Doyle, uh, who they took in the conference call portion of the super draft that nobody really talks about. The don't call Jason, it a supplemental draft. Yeah. They, they don't call it the supplemental anymore. It's still, it's now all the super draft. Um, but he, he would have been called a supplemental pick at one point in the past. Jason, do we know anything about Liam Doyle? at this point other than he be uh, tall. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting situation with Doyle. Uh, he scored a lot of goals and got a lot of assists despite being a center back. And they weren't all goals on headers. Um, Steve Birnbaum, I think had 12 goals as a senior, but they were virtually all from headers. Um, Doyle has a reputation for scoring goals from free kicks. Um, he takes penalty kicks. Uh, I think he was two for three on penalties for Ohio state last season. Um, so he's known for for shooting with power from free kicks, but he's also gotten some assists in taking some long range free kicks for other people to uh to head in. Um, he is from the Isle of Man in the UK, and he hasn't. They don't have an official national team. They don't have. They have a football association, so they I guess they could have an official national team. They have a weird situation where they've got two representative teams, and they aren't against each other, but they aren't the same team which I don't understand how that works. Um, it's like if the NASL and MLS agreed that they were friends and both were division one and they just coexisted. Um, he has played for one of those, not for both. Um, so it's, 
it's a weird situation, but not in a bad way. Um, definitely a player that I thought would go earlier. I didn't think he was still going to be around in the fourth round when, when DC grabbed him, but um, for a team that only has three natural center backs, there's, there's maybe an opening there though. He will take up the international spot, which uh, is a pretty difficult thing to overcome. And in the preseason write-ups they've been publishing uh, on the team site so far, uh, he was specifically mentioned as somebody that they were impressed with on day two of preseason, for what that's worth. Like I said, those two draft picks have not signed contracts yet. They are effectively on trial. Whether it's a privileged trial because they were drafted or not is is another question. Uh, joining them... Uh, are seven other field players who are joining camp on trial. A lot of them are midfielders. Uh, some of them can also play forward. Uh, the one out and out forward who has joined the team has a pretty famous last name. He is uh, Andrea Mancini. And yes, that is the Mancini you're thinking of. He is Roberto Mancini's son. Mancini is the coach of Inter Milan, whose owner, Eric Tohir, also owns... Majority stake in DC United. Ben, that's totally coincidental, right? Yes, he's definitely not the new version of CMC Alam. Definitely, definitely not. But to be to, to be a little more serious, he's been he was with Manchester City for a lot of the time that his dad was with Manchester City, uh, and never played. He's been on a lot of loan stints and has never seemed to be able to score goals. And for a forward, that's not a great thing. So. He's been in Hungary, I believe, most recently, mm-hmm. and I don't know what the quality of play is in Hungary, but I would think it's below the quality of play in MLS, so we'll see. I mean, anything can happen, and he's still a young player, so maybe this is where he figures it out, but I don't really expect him to be sticking around. Another name, a guy who has scored a lot of goals is Rob Vincent. You might remember his name from the end of 2015 when he joined DC United for uh, an end of season kind of pre-trial trial. trial. Uh, He did well enough there that he's been invited for a a proper trial for this preseason. He's most recently played for the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, and I think he's actually under contract with them, so he would require some kind of transfer to get them away from that USL side. Although I have noticed in a bit of contract nerdery that there have been a couple of USL teams this season that have re-signed players, but they have an MLS escape clause if they get signed by the league. I know Brian Ownby of the Richmond Kickers has that. He's on trial with Colorado Rapids. And there's at least one other USL player that has that. Yeah, I don't I know if I don't know if Rob Vincent does or not. I'm I, just saying it's out there. I think that's a, a fairly common um, clause for USL players, mm-hmm. um, especially players who have some history in MLS previously. You know, Own B was drafted by the Houston Dynamo, so and, and um, right. I think Vincent though yeah. he's he's still under contract from yeah, last yeah. year. No, he they, didn't they, sign they, a new contract. The the word yeah. was that he was going to be in contract for this year. Right. And the the when he came on right. trial last year. And the the press up there have said that um the Riverhounds intend to ask for something in exchange. So he probably does not have a um he can leave for MLS for free uh sort of deal. Right. He did lead and they, they're completely within their rights to ask for something. Mm-hmm. And it's smart of them. He led the league. He led USL in goals last year, didn't he? Or was third. pretty close. Third. Third. 
He had the, 18 but, goals in yeah. USL play last year, which but is, he's, but he's a, but he's a, he's a midfielder. He had strikers in yeah. front of him. He is not a, yeah, a striker. Exactly. He's what he's a wide kind of a, an attacking outside he, midfielder. Yeah. I mean, he was, they played a four, two, three, one most of the year. And he was, um, at least when we scouted him for the open cup, mostly playing on the left, but during games, he would be sh- shifted out to the right. Um, sometimes he would set up up top briefly. Um, so I think he's a classic example of someone who is a winger forward sort of hybrid, um, depending on what you need at the time, essentially. Another name that, that folks might have heard of, uh, going back a little bit further than the U.S. Open Cup last year, is Ariel Rodriguez, who played for Alojolense. Most recently, down in Costa Rica, he's a defensive midfielder for them. And they're, of course, the team that knocked out DC United from the CONCACAF Champions League in last year's quarterfinals. Jason, good player? Yeah, I would say a good player. Not necessarily um, one of the most eye-catching players. He's sort of a well-rounded player rather than someone that has any particularly eye-catching talents. he was playing as the lone defensive midfielder uh, in, in Alavalente's games at home. Um, and and he's good at taking the ball off the back four and distributing it from there. Uh, I wouldn't go so far as to say he's a deep-lying playmaker. He's more of uh, just a defensive midfielder who's comfortable enough with the ball uh, to, start the, to start things off. Um, maybe not the best fit for a team that seems to have guys like that in place with Halstie, with... Uh, Julian Buescher. Um, but, you know, maybe he can show a little more um, in, a, in, a, in a double pivot system that, that he's going to be likely walking into here. Maybe he's a little more mobile in that setup, not having to do the whole thing by himself as a defensive midfielder. Um, we'll see. But again, with an international roster spot involved, um, he's going to have to pre- I, I think his situation coming from a big club in CONCACAF, he's going to be looking for a starter's salary, and I think he's going to have to prove that he is at least in the running to be a starter to get a contract here. Uh, Paul Torres is another name that that folks who pay especially close attention may have heard of. He is a product of the DC United Academy, went abroad after playing for Maryland, and he's back. Jason, I know you probably know Torres better than, you know his game better than probably most people in this country at this point. Um, what would you say it is? And, and does he have a chance of landing a roster spot? Torres kind of fascinates me because when he was at, when he was at Maryland, I never really thought he was a player that was going to make it in MLS. And there had been a rumor his, his last year at Maryland, there had been a rumor the whole time that he was focused on going professional uh, as soon as possible. And it just seemed like he was rushing things to me. Um, but then he's been in Scandinavia for two years playing professionally. Um, so he made it work. Um, and maybe, you know, a lot of players grow a lot those first two years as a professional. Um, he is a very busy midfielder. Uh, he played on the right and in the middle at Maryland. Um, he's not really a defensive midfielder. I, I would guess that if he was to be signed, he'd be more of a number eight. Um, but very energetic, um, always buzzing around the ball. Um, sometimes not necessarily in a good way. You know, there are times where it looks like he's chasing it rather than, um, dictating the game with his energies. He's using his energy just to keep, keep up. Um, 
but you know, like I said, it's been at least two years since I've seen him play a game. Um, he was in, I think his last club was a Swedish club. And before that, there was a year in Norway. So, you know, we'll see what he's learned. Um, he is a player with some DC Academy experience. So it would be nice to see somebody like that. He wouldn't be a homegrown player, I don't think. But, um, no, homegrown is only for their right. first pro contract. Um, so, you know, it's still nice for a player in the Academy to end up getting a pro contract one way or another. Um, I, I don't necessarily think it's that likely, but, um, maybe he's learned a lot, uh, since he went and became a pro because, um, United certainly needs central midfielders and they certainly need somebody that has the energy to cover a lot of ground. Um, no matter whether it's Halsty or, um, if Ariel Rodriguez is signed, they need a runner in there as well. They can't rely on Davy Arnaud, um, being fit and he's also in his mid thirties. So, um, Torres certainly fits the profile that they want, but is he good enough at that? Who knows? Some other names uh, that you're going to hear if you watch what we hope will be a live stream on Friday for the first preseason game. Uh, Santiago Ditborn is a Chilean former youth international midfielder uh, coming out from, from down there. Kevin George uh, is another midfielder and uh, Constantine, Colo Catronis has the best last name in the bunch. Uh, Greek midfielder coming in. Uh, maybe a forward. I've seen him listed possibly, as a forward and as a midfielder. It's conf- you know it's a confusing situation. Yeah, a lot of these guys coming in are effectively tweeners. So we'll we'll see how they will line up on the field. And because God knows we don't have enough of those forward midfielder combinations on the team at this point. It sounds like we've got quite a few more in on trial. So it'll be, it'll be fun to see how they slot in the last group of players to talk about for preseason is the goalkeepers that are here. And I know we, we had our goalkeeping situation all worked out. We weren't going to need goalkeepers in on trial this year, but they brought in a couple of guys with MLS experience because Bill Hamid will be out in, till a long time from now with his uh, meniscus injury in his knee. We talked uh, last week about how he had surgery. He was going to be out for a few weeks. It turns out he's going to be out for a few months, not a few weeks. So uh, he's out until at least May at this point. It could be until June or July. We'll, we'll have to see. Um, but the, the team has brought in Chris Kanapka, most recently of Toronto FC, and Paolo Tornaghi uh, uh, from the Vancouver Whitecaps. He was a backup there. He he once played actual games, a few of them, for the Chicago Fire. Ben, what do you make of these two goalkeepers? And uh, do either of them have a chance to beat out Dykstra for the starting role until Bill Hamid returns? I mean... There's not much to say about either, especially Tornagi. He's been the backup for the best goalkeeper, not named Bill Hamid in the league, uh, last season and David Usted. Um, he played, so he didn't get to play much there. He played some for the Whitecaps too. He played some for their U23s in the past. Uh, he, the last time he played a lot of real MLS games was for the Chicago Fire. Um, he played nine games for them in, 2012 something like that that sounds right um and then kanapka he's 
kind of the definition of an average MLS starter. Uh, he's decent. Uh, he's a good organizer. He's an average shot stopper. Um, he couldn't beat out Zach McMath, uh, the year Zach McMath started in Philadelphia. Uh, but he was able to take over for Joe Bendick this year in Toronto, even after Bendick came back from injury. I think, I think it's more of a dogfight against Dykstra than people might think. I think Dykstra is probably at a similar level to Chris Kanopka. Um, and so they may, it'll, Dykstra has the advantage of already being under contract, but I think if somebody shows something above and beyond in preseason, I think they could definitely replace Dykstra. Jason, anything to add before we uh, take a quick break? Yeah, I, I would say that I I feel like Ben Ben's probably right that Kanopka's probably got a better chance than Tornaki. Um I think the main thing, though, I, I don't know that either goalkeeper is going to improve upon what Dykstra brings to the table. I think maybe the important thing here is that we've seen in the past when Dykstra has serious competition, he tends to do better. And, and by serious competition, I mean someone that he could theoretically beat. Uh, you know, if it's competition with Bill Hamid, we know he's not, no matter how much he rises to the occasion, he's not going to push Hamid aside. Um, but if it's competition with Joe Willis, for example, um, he did manage to surprise a lot of us by um, winning the, winning the backup job over Joe Willis for an entire year. Um, so I think maybe bringing in a, someone like Kanaka does provide him, and I would assume, and they haven't said whether they're going to do it or not, but I would assume that we'll hear that Hamid is on the injured reserve for such and such amount of time, which means the roster spot is available. Um, not the salary cap, but the roster spot becomes available. So you can have Kanapka and Dykstra under contract and I guess sort of run a, you know, couple months long, three months long competition. Um, and I think maybe that'll bring out the best in Dykstra. I don't know um, Kanapka's mentality as well, um, though he did hold off Joe Bendick for a few weeks there in Toronto. Um, but I do think that of the two, based on what I've been able to see, I do think Kanapka has a better chance of making the roster. Uh, Tornagi's a perfectly decent goalkeeper. He's a little younger, um, so he's a little less experienced. Certainly, he's played fewer games in MLS, but um, I don't think either one of them is a guy that is going to do better than Dykstra. Um, or if 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 somebody if one of them makes the team and then out outduels Dykstra to be the starter on the first day, we're not talking by we're not talking large uh, margins. We're talking about you know someone's going to beat someone by a hair. Um, so I, you know fans shouldn't expect the world from these guys because they're they're roughly equivalent to Dykstra. And on that, you know, very hot take, we're going to take a quick break. Stick around. This obviously wasn't a hot take at all. That's the <laughs> joke, guys. Come on. Yes, I just made Ben facepalm. You guys, this is awesome. This is such a great way to go to break. Stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, you know how you're always going on and on about legal advice on this show? Well, and yeah. Not and you never, ever use the term correctly? Well, of course not. I try not to use the term correctly. Right. Our new sponsors, the Ehrlich Law Office, they do use the term correctly. 
all the time. In fact, that is what they do. Oh, so if I actually wanted legal advice, I should probably go to them? Yeah, exactly. If you're in Northern Virginia or the District of Columbia, they handle employment issues, general civil litigation, defamation, lots of stuff. Uh, they have you covered. Jason, I'm sorry, they do not have you covered because you are in Maryland where they are not operating just yet. Uh, fine. So Ehrlich Law Office, it's, a, it's really good people. Uh, Josh is their, their main proprietor, Josh Ehrlich. Uh, he's a law school friend of mine. His, one of their, their attorneys, Ben, uh, a lot of our listeners know him from games and, and other places. So, guys, for a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. It's time now to talk about the future and DC United's future home on Buzzard Point. The team and their uh, architects filed with the DC Zoning Commission this week uh, documents for the stadium construction. It's it's a filing called a planned unit development that a lot of um, big projects around the city have to go through. It's uh, a way to not have to go and file for each separate zoning variance that you may need for a particular project and instead go through and get approval for them all at once. And so DC United filed what they needed to file for the stadium portion of the project. It does not include any of the ancillary development, the hotel, whatever restaurants they want to build outside the stadium. This is just for the stadium itself. But the filing means that we got lots and lots and lots of very detailed renderings and schematics of the building all the way down to the number of suites, which I realize now I didn't actually count. So don't, don't ask us about those and the location of restrooms that I did make a mental note of. I know where the restrooms are in the new stadium. Mostly they are on the ground level behind either goal. That's where most of the restrooms are. There are also some on the sides, but mostly they're behind the goals. So mark that down for, for future reference. Ben, when you saw the official renderings, the the three shiny ones that the the team released before we dug up the the zoning filing, what was your first response to to what you were looking at? Um, my first response was that it was fairly similar to uh, the more recent renderings that we've been seeing. Uh, it was fairly in line with those. Uh, it it looks like a it's it's definitely an urban stadium. It's trying to blend more in with the, uh, as they stated in the uh, statement, the uh, history of Buzzard Point, the industrial background of the area, and it's trying to fit a specific purpose in its specific location. It's not going to be like a sprawling, giant suburban stadium with uh, things built out. It is a in-town, compact uh, stadium, and I'm okay with that. It's... It's a place to watch soccer, as Jason is so fond of saying. And so soccer is the product that's going to be served. And I think, honestly, and I, I said this when we saw the last version of these the, that were for the materials uh, description. It was like a that, that's what the last ones were, the ones that were all very beige and, and gray. Um, those were just a basic description of the concept of the design, not the actual finalized thing. And we saw some elements of the stadium move around some from, from that version to this one. 
in both of them though the grade of the seats the angle that the the seats uh the stands move up as they move away from the field is very very steep jason that makes for good sight lines and uh, generally a good atmosphere all the reviews of avaya stadium which have the steepest seats in mls and i think these are of a an equal grade or very close to the same grade all the reviews of watching a game there have been incredible do you think we'll we'll get something of the same experience at this ground i i would think so i mean the earthquakes for years have had uh, a gang of uh, idiots uh as their main supporters uh who are trying to punch people in the face and i've now ruined my chance of going to a bias stadium um but uh, other than that because i've heard good things i really i'll really just have. i'll put on a fake mustache it'll be fine um but other than that they have not been known for being a particularly loud group of fans um so for them for, for a new stadium to help them to that extent uh bodes well for a team that has been known for having good fans for for a long time so Hopefully, uh, it helps. Certainly, um, the steep grade makes me think of stadiums that are abroad, um, a little more than some MLS stadiums. Um, plenty of different famous stadiums like La Bombonera in Buenos Aires is supposedly, I've never been. I would lo- like to go before I drop dead. Um, but apparently, you know, extremely steep seats, um, and sort of a wall of noise. I, I do kind of wish the stadium was a little more, um, it contained a few more walls and a few less views of streets um, from inside or, or outside. Um, that was written off as a, a a plus for the stadium, which I I thought was maybe an aggressive dig at me personally. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, the 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 seating, the hearing that the grade of the seats was going to be a, about as steep as they could uh, basically legally do. Um, that was a, a positive in my book, even though it is going to be um, a little tricky for uh, fans that have had a few beers uh, to make it up to their seat. Uh, you might want to, you know, watch yourself go go slow. You'll you'll get there. Um, <laughs> you know, be careful in in the new stadium because it is going to be kind of a climb. But uh, it, you know, it seems it seems like a good thing. Um, but uh, we'll we won't really find out till the place is open. Yeah, and there are obviously some negatives to to this rendering. Like you said, there is the one completely open corner at the main entrance. Luckily, all three of the other corners are filled in with seats. the The bowl is continuous three quarters of the way around, uh, which is which is nice. That was not the case in the previous version of the renderings, where the the north end was completely separate and both corners at that end of the field were open. Now there actually is some continuation on the northwest corner, which is nice to see. But there is a weird, I don't know if it's it's a, a club or a restaurant, uh, suites of some kind on the north end line that that takes up a bunch of seating. I know a lot of people are unhappy about that. And until we know more, we can't really say whether that makes sense or not. But uh, it definitely eats up the potential room for more seating. Uh, and the capacity sounds like it's going to be between nineteen and 20,000 in this. That's based on the filings, which Ben read much more closely than I did. Uh, so there's that. And then the big issue that a lot of people have talked about is the roof. And the fact that the the canopies over over the seats are only along the the two sidelines. They don't cover the the southern end zone or the northern end zone. 
Ben, we all would love to have a roof over our heads when we're at the stadium. Is it as big a deal as, as some people are making it, or is it something that you can live without? Personally, it's something I can live without. Um, especially with the one end zone, uh, the, the north side, rather. Uh, most of the north side is suites, so they're going to have their places to go. But like a third. A lot of it is sweets. Yeah. And they're all going to have their places to retreat to. If they don't want to be out in the rain, they'll have their interior places where they can still watch the game uh, from. So they're going to be fine. Um, I think a lot of it is due to the... We think that the supporters are going to be in probably the South uh, stand. And that's the one. that's one of the ones that isn't covered. And I understand that it would be nice to put a roof over them. But I think they may probably made the assumption that the supporters groups are going to be more likely to come out to the games even when it is raining. So I understand the callous, potentially callous calculation that might be. But personally, it doesn't bother me. I, I like going to games in the rain. It, it's not a big deal to me. So it would it's on the would be nice but from all what we've heard it's really expe- it's actually surprisingly expensive to put a roofing on so yeah for a 150 million dollar build cost we're talking probably 15 million plus to put a roof over the whole thing which is a significant portion of the the project that's based on percentages that we've heard from other people that's not a number we got from the team um but that's a lot of money yeah. that to to throw it at that and it would be great. It would be. It would be better with a roof. Let's make that clear. But it's not the end-all be-all of soccer stadiums if it has a roof. And it's not the worst stadium in the world if it doesn't have a roof. Either way, it's going to be a good place to watch soccer 99% of the time. And I'm excited to go. Um, one thing that the, the team did or the architects did have to deal with is a giant easement down the, the Eastern half of the, the site where they are basically not allowed to build anything from the ground up to a height of 18 feet over an 83 foot wide swath that runs North South. And so somewhat cleverly, I think they turned that into the main concourse on the East side of the stadium, which is going to run underneath the main stand. Um, there aren't a lot of seats off the main concourse, as it turns out. Most of the seats on that side are are elevated quite a ways because of that. And so this concourse is going to be really, really wide, 83 feet wide. And there's going to be very few seat renderings. It looked like there's going to be a view from that area onto the field, or at least onto the backs of the people who have field level seating on that side. And there aren't a lot of concession stands that are permanently going to be built into that space. So I imagine you'll see, you know, temporary stands like the Papusa stand at RFK is a temporary stand. You know, it, it can roll away it, when they need to put it away at the end of the game. So maybe we see stands like that on that concourse. But I also think that there could be some interesting programming there and events happening there before games or or after games it'll be it'll be interesting to see i i think if the team gets creative it could be a a cool space to to walk through hopefully it is ben any other thoughts before we open up the twitter box i mean yeah the the 
easement was one of the biggest things because they have to be Pepco has to be able to drive trucks in there to dig stuff up if they uh, if things go wrong and it really did shift a lot of the things about how the stadium was designed and, and that's it sounds like that's what nixed the the original rendering that got us all hot and bothered right because they had to move the stadium as far west in the parcel as possible and that's why the west stand is the smallest stand because they could only build it to the property line and because of the easement it had that they had to move it so i think we didn't realize how much the pepco facilities on this site would mean to the design of the stadium and now we do yeah we knew that they meant that the team couldn't build down right and put the field below ground level. We didn't realize that it would force the field to move laterally as well and also prevent uh, a, you know, an ideally designed stand on the east side, which, because the field is shifted, has to be the main stand. So your main stand is compromised somewhat by, by the season as well. Jason, any other thoughts from you on the stadium while we're still talking about it? Um, uh, not really. No. Um, are you, are you, now that you have the plans, do you have a shovel and a pickaxe and uh, a hammer? I've had those for years. I've had a pile of bricks. It's the same. I moved closer to the door. Uh, no, they're, they're where they were the whole time. Um, they're easily accessible. I could have them and be in my car in about, well, with the snow on the ground, maybe more than the 90 seconds I was going to say. The problem with me now would be getting my car out of my neighborhood. (laughs) And that's how snow works. Let's open up the Twitter box. We've got a, a few really good questions this week. Some of them are about Rob Vincent, who we, who we talked about earlier. Um, so let's start with those DC untied who is at DC underscore untied on Twitter asks us at filibuster DCU is Ron Rob Vincent, the talented spark we need or a product of his level of play is are his goals a mirage just because USL is a lower level. I mean, I don't think it's either of those. Um, I think Rob Vincent could be a useful piece for this team. I think he could be a useful player. Scoring 18 goals from the midfield is nothing to be sneezed at at any level of play. And we know that in some cases, USL success is predicative of at least MLS, some sort of success. I mean, Lewis Neal came from a career, uh, came from playing in USL. Dom Dwyer had that awesome run in USL before jumping back up to uh, sporting Kansas City and going on a run. So there are examples of the LA, the most dose players have, some of those players have done really well in USL and then jumped up to the galaxy and performed well. So USL success can be at least an indicator that someone can do something well in MLS. Is he the creative force we need? Uh, no, I mean, I don't think, I don't think we could, I don't think that's necessarily going to happen, but I think he could definitely be a useful player on this team. I wouldn't I wouldn't even say if people want to look at him as a creative player, that's not really his game. Um he's good off the ball, but he's not someone who gets on the ball and creates chances for others. He's a finisher. Um he's someone that the creator makes good use of because he's good off the ball and he gets himself into good spots that can be fed with a good pass, but um 
I don't think he would be the spark that changes everything for the team. I think you're much more likely to find that from the addition of speed to the roster this, this year um, with Niarco with uh, Lamar Nagel, that that is going to open things up. Um, but I think Vincent uh, is a, I think he's an MLS player. I think he, if he doesn't latch on here, it's going to be somewhere else. Um, it wasn't just the goals last year, but in watching him play, in person against United in the Open Cup, um, he looked like he belonged at a higher level than than the USL, and I think he's ready for it now. Um, whether or not United has the room for him um, is a different question. Whether or not he's, you know, maybe he's the extra forward, maybe he's Arrieta's replacement um, rather than more of a wide player as he was with Pittsburgh. I don't know, but. Um, Someone somewhere is going to end up having him on an MLS roster this year or next year. I, I would I would be pretty sure about that. So, um, yeah, I don't I don't think he's going to be a game changer for United. He's not necessarily going to walk into the starting lineup, but he's a player that could play and contribute. And it wouldn't be, oh no, here comes the guy that is on the roster but doesn't do anything. Um, he would be able to. He would be someone you could put into a real MLS game and not have to worry about him bringing the level of play down. Yeah, I was going to put it really similarly. He's an MLS player, and I, I talked with a few people uh, who watched more Pittsburgh Riverhounds games than I did last year, who said exactly the same thing about him. And I think the question is whether he's his ceiling is is more you know fringe contributor or a Luke Mulholland for RSL who came from the NASL and became a starter for that team. So I, I don't think this year he's, he's a starter, but there's, there's every chance he could develop into one. And that would be uh, a really good get uh, for, you know, coming out of USL and, and a guy who can give you that kind of production. Who knows if that's, if he's that guy, but there's a chance. Next question comes from Sean Joyner, who's at Shawnee Law, or at Shawnee underscore Law on Twitter, asks us at Filibuster DC, will we get Leonardo Gill? Uh, This is the uh, Argentine midfielder that we've been, uh, that DC United has been connected with, kind of a deep-lying playmaker. Uh, We don't know at this point who, who the hell knows. The negotiations, we understand, have been ongoing for a while but at this point it's it's difficult to say whether they will will get anywhere I guess last year it was because he wanted to stay in Argentina right now there might be a hurdle with the with his club Estudiantes de la Plata Ben do you have anything to add to that other than shrug Uh. all right this is a visual medium so Ben shrugged when he made that noise that's why I made the noise. Otherwise, I would have just shrugged. I would point out, you said this is a visual medium. I, I don't think it is. That, th- thank you, Jason. <laughs> We're nothing if not pedantic. Next question comes from Filmy Girl on Twitter, who is at Filmy Girl on Twitter. Asks us at Filibuster DCU, what are your favorite games from the 2015 season? I am on an MLS Live archive binge. Let's let's cut the six four game against RSL out because presumably she would have already watched that. What other games are on your list for this year? I'll start. I I, I enjoyed the hell out of the um, 
play-in round uh, win over the New England Revolution in the playoffs this year. That game was a lot of fun. Um, it involved one of the best goals you'll see anywhere ever in Juan Aguidelo's opener. And then DC United came back and won. It was great. I'm kind of drawing a blank. Um, oh, I thought you were good. Yeah, I, I thought you were immediately going to go for the Vancouver Whitecaps game. That's why I tried to no, I you can, stay away from that. I'm, I'm, I'm going blank because I, I was thinking of like non DC games, but I'm. Well, you should look at the Vancouver Whitecaps game. And then I also chose either of the first two Orlando City games just because they're whining about how they should have won those games after them. It, Ben really, really hates <laughs> Orlando City. Neither well, of those games was actually good to watch. Well, and it's all, it, the first one. And it's also indicative of the way it, if you want to like look back at a time capsule at DC United's 2015 season, those are kind of indicative of how the season went for long stretches for DC United. Yeah, the the late game at RFK against uh, NYCFC was a great game to watch too. Yeah. Um, it was like the like the New England game, a very kind of intense and sort of dramatic game uh, and, in the rain. Yeah, and as someone who's been a Chris Pontius fan since he came into the league, both of those games involved Chris Pontius looking like it was 2012 in a, in a wonderful way. And I missed that, and so those games hold a special place in my heart for that reason. Jason, the, you said you were thinking yeah, of non-DC yeah, United games. Right. She didn't specify DC United here, so, right. okay. so um, give her some games to watch outside of our little small I universe. Don't, I, I can't think of specific games off the top of my head right now. I'm kind of mentally broken. Um, but I will say that um, looking at the Timbers uh, from roughly like mid-September onward. Um, I would watch start- their play-in game round. Right. I, I, w- I would say, you know, you can start with any game they played from mid-September on um, just to watch their evolution into the team that ended up winning MLS Cup. Because before that they were not playing that same kind of soccer. They were conservative, direct, and really kind of boring, which is kind of surprising for a team with the players they had. Um, Any, any game with FC Dallas, when Fabian Castillo and Moro Diaz was fit, were were both fit at the same time. um, That's usually worth watching, especially once Michael Barrios also started contributing a little bit. Um, Columbus played in some good games, some exciting games because of the fact that they didn't really, prioritize keeping a clean sheet very much. Um, Their early season game against us, I think I remember being, or was that last year? Was that 2014? Uh, I think that was last year. That was 2014. Go back to 2014 and watch the early season game again, DC United versus the crew. You have a pretty easy time with the crew finding high scoring games. If, if you just want to see a lot of goals, just go look at the crew schedule. I'm sure there's three or four on there where there's five or six goals scored in a game because the crew really uh, made a philosophy of let's just try and outscore our opponent um, and keep, keep the ball for long stretches and see what happens. Um, other than that, I, I, maybe the, maybe the impact down the stretch with um, Didier Drogba um, going into a, uh, you know, superstar mode um, and also doing stuff like grabbing a goalkeeper's leg. Um, <laughs> so, there, there are a lot of teams that really, for various reasons, put on a show. And I guess the, the the one thing I will say is don't watch any Colorado Rapids games. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, don't, don't do it to yourself. They're, they're unwatchable. Unless you want to see what a team that plays 
three defensive midfielders and like seven center backs and a goalkeeper uh, looks like. It looks as about what you would expect it to look like. And we know all all three of us know DC United is not the most aesthetically pleasing right. team to watch. Don't watch the Rapids. No, seriously. <laughs> and if you meet a Rapids fan, buy 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 that person a drink. Especially if it's Chris Uzwhite. Seriously, dude needs a drink. Buy him a drink. Hand, hand him a drink. Uh, Friend of the show. He came on, I think, as a guest on our first year we ever did this show. And, and he's aware. He just wrote a column very recently that was basically just full bore anger at the Rapids for continuing to be the Rapids because they haven't really done anything to indicate that this season's going to be better. Other the premise than of his article was so good too. It's I can deal with mediocrity. Yes, you yeah, guys are aggressively thing. bad. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and the fact that their move this offseason so far has been to claim that they're going to try and sign Tim Howard, only to have that underwhelmed completely by Roberto Martino saying, we have not heard from the Colorado Rapids at all about interest in Tim Howard. Um, that just sort of <laughs> confirmed any suspicion that people had. And then had they about traded the away their number one goalkeeper. <laughs> yes. Uh, great plan. Um, good Lord. <laughs> Oh, man. Our last question tonight comes from Scott Waldman, who is at ST Waldman on Twitter, asks us at filibuster DCU, does Sporting Kansas City get the homegrown rights to the Dwyer LaRue baby? Congratulations to Dom Dwyer and Sydney LaRue, who announced on Instagram that they are expecting their first child uh, later this year. Big ups to them. Um we, you know, I, I imagine wherever that kid grows up, he will be in a soccer academy of some kind. Um, maybe that's Kansas City. Uh, I don't think homegrown rights attach at conception. Ben, have you read the rule books? Do homegrown rights attach at conception? Um, I've, I've, if so, I've, then it's possible that sporting will get the, the homegrown I've rights. I've not broken into uh, MLS headquarters to read the uh, complete homegrown player rules uh as far as i know it, it's a mission impossible-esque vault that they keep those in but it wouldn't surprise me i mean i guess i guess it comes down to don garber's position on when life begins or, or does this count as a discovery claim no i don't think it's a discovery claim unless someone's doing some invasive surgery i don't know I was, I was gonna say, I, I think that these, these, uh, the rules for this are probably written down. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, but there'd be little kits, uh, available for kids where you could write in like lemon juice on a piece of paper. And then there'd be a little light bulb or something, uh, where you could see what was written. It was quote unquote invisible ink. Um, I imagine there's like a childlike, there, there's some sort of childish toy or, uh, thing that kids would like involved in the process where it's like why is this like this because it's mls is why it's like it um mls is in possession of the one actually working ouija board in the world and that's how they write all their rules and that's how you find out the the whether whether the discovery rights start at conception or at birth yeah so so essentially actually it's not even at birth it's when he plays in an academy (laughs) he or she Plays right. in an academy. But who's on the other end of the Ouija board? Is it like... It's Don Garber. It's Don Garber. He says it's the only functioning Ouija board oh, okay. in the world. But he, but, he just but, pushes it. 
You just have to pay I close mean, attention. I, I have no reason to disbelieve Don Garber what? when he says he's not moving it. I said, are all you, you going to do? Said, no. All you got to do is lift your fingers off of it for half a second, and you can catch him very easily because it's, it's, he's like, oh, oh, uh, whoops, I, I stumbled. But Ar- but Don keeps telling me it's Archie Stark on the other side. Thank you all for listening this week. <laughs> Find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter at filibusterdc. That's where you can send all your questions for the podcast. We're also at blackandredu for the website. That's where you will find all the links to stuff we're writing about and lots of snark as well. And good information. Good information and snark. We try to bring it all uh, at Black and Red United. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud. Hopefully you will tell a friend about the show. We really appreciate it when you do that. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. We will talk to you real soon, and we will have an actual fake game of soccer to talk about next week. We'll talk to you then. Say goodbye, Jason. First goddamn week of winter. <laughs> <laughs>